John chapter 14, the first three verses. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Amen and amen. These wonderful words were spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ to his eleven after Judas had deserted them, and he was calming their troubled hearts because they didn't want him to depart. He had told them in the previous chapter there at the Last Supper that he was going away. He had warned them about it before, but they were troubled by it. They were troubled by Judas betraying him. They were troubled by the prophecy of Peter denying him, and they were troubled by him disappearing. And so he calms them with three wonderful promises that we don't want to forget. We want to delight in these verses. God the Father has many mansions in heaven for us. Jesus left this world not to desert us, but to be finishing his work of salvation and preparing a place for us. And he will return to gather us to be with him. Those are three wonderful promises. And Christians should build their lives on those promises. They are the chief promises. The promises of this life are good for as long as this life lasts. The promises for this life are as good as the corruption of this life doesn't infringe on those promises. Everything here is temporal. Everything here decays. Moths corrupt. Thieves break through. The tax man cometh. And there are plenty of adversities to things here. But in our Father's house are many mansions. Nothing can touch them. Nothing can touch the Lord himself. And he's coming. He's coming. It's a shame that we could construct a number of metaphorical comparisons to make of someone important coming with some big blessing for us and how it would stir the enthusiasm, excitement, memory, and conversation among those that he was coming for. But we have this promise right here. And today we want to focus on the third verse, though we're going to spend a few minutes in the second. We want to focus on the third verse where it says, I will come again. Jesus is coming again. It's the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we want to think on that and delight ourselves in that and look for it and watch and be vigilant and purify ourselves in the light of that coming when we shall meet him who is himself entirely pure. In verse 2, we read and we studied last Lord's Day, in my Father's house are many mansions. A mansion is simply a place where one stays or dwells, a place of abode or an abiding place. Chiefly, when it's used in the plural, in English, it means a separate dwelling place, lodging or apartment in a large house. It's not what you have corrupted the word mansion to believe because you only know a current use of the word that you like to think of and thinking of some palatial estate on 20 or 100 or 2,000 acres. That's not how it's used in the Bible. This is the only use of the word in the Bible. And so we rely on its context when it says it is something within a house. And while the Lord's house may be very large, the mansion in a house is going to be a room. It's going to be an apartment. It's a dwelling place or a place to abide or abode 
inside a house. So we change our view of mansion just a little bit to fit the word of God because that's the way we want it. And it happens to be the definition of the word anyway. I like it because as I told you, Psalm 27 and verse 5 tells us that the Lord will hide us in the secret place of his tabernacle. In the secret of his tabernacle. He won't hide us in his secret tabernacle. He'll hide us in the secret of his tabernacle. So there is a secret place in his tabernacle where he's going to hide me. And it fits very well. Old Testament, New Testament, though that was on earth, though this is in heaven, they're metaphorical expressions both describing a place for us in heaven to be close to the Lord. We would rather, I hope, be in an apartment in the Lord's house than to have our own house down the street across the country from the Lord. So we can rejoice in how the Bible has termed it for us. Now it says there are many mansions, and the emphasis there on that word many was comforting to the apostles and should be comforting to us because there's a mansion or a place for all of us that are saved, that are the redeemed of the Lord. There's a place for us. If it had been just a singular mansion, then it wouldn't have been, it would have been for the Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles may have been left out. But there's many. And remember, as, you, as we think about these five chapters together, w- there are times where we're going to have to say, this is apostolic. But overall, until we find something that can't be fulfilled and Paul doesn't confirm as belonging to us equally, we apply it to ourselves equally because as he comes to the conclusion of the five chapters in John 17, in his prayer, in verse 20, he will say, I pray not for these alone, meaning the 11, but for them that shall believe on me through their word. And then for five verses, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, those five verses, he ties it all together saying, the 11, me, you, Father, and them that will believe on me through their word, make us all one. And he repeats it over and over. And Lord, let us believe that and let us see that in these words and phrases and sentences that we have. If we stop and rightly think about verse 2, in my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you, it would greatly erase earthly troubles and pains. And it would greatly erase earthly plans and ambitions. So things bad are made to be of no concern or little concern in the light of heavenly glory. And things of earthly glory that we have great ambitions and desires for become a soap bubble in the light of heavenly glory. So whether things bad or things good, heaven transcends it all and should change our lives. And every time we come in here and when we sing, in the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore We should be changing our hearts and minds, our affections and our attention from things here to things there, from vision horizontal to vision vertical, from things natural to things spiritual. That is why we assemble. And so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Now we have a bigger day approaching than the Jews had approaching. We have the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we come together, and right now, in your mind, in your heart, change your way of thinking. Because 
When we say amen and you step outside, the entire assault of media on us is to change our thinking to here and never there. There's never a word about heaven or hell. It's all about here and now. And so we have these few minutes to regather our wits so that we can approach life properly. He has wonderful things for us in the land of the living. But he has better things for us in the land of the dead. And we should look forward to it. How many of you were thinking, if there was a box up there, singing in the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. If there was a box up there, I could crawl into it and pull the lid. Okay, brother, thank you. I was wondering if anybody would be competing with me. And all those thoughts are not there all the time with any of us. But that's why we come together. That's why we have these verses, and that's why I'm taking my time going through these first three. You saw that I can go faster in chapter 13. But right now, I want to emphasize the second coming of the Lord. And the words in verse 3, I will come again. I will come again. Who said I shall return? General Douglas MacArthur. He was standing in knee-deep water. Where? Off the islands of the Philippines. And those poor people were hoping that he meant it. Because the savages that had landed there were treating them very differently than his men had treated them. Did he return? He returned. He had some measure of power to return. He was a man of some measure of principle. He was a person that could make a promise like that and perform it within measures. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. I shall return. You know, we think of him as that little long-haired, effeminate, little girly thing that people worship as a savior because it's another Jesus, but not our Jesus. He's the captain of salvation. And when we say salvation, he's not the captain of some little pitiful, chain-smoking, crucifix-wearing, half-naked American GIs. He's the captain of the, the host of the Lord. He's the captain of the Lord's host, all the armies of heaven and all the redeemed. Amen. He's the Lord of lords and the King of kings. He's the blessed and only potentate. Amen. And he said, I shall return. Right. He said, I will come again. Amen. We want to we love that today. Yes. And the, the effort that we need and the power of the Holy Spirit to affect us in a few minutes against the 165 hours that we spend away from each other and outside of the house of the Lord, you need to put in your effort, he'll put in his, and I'll put in mine, and let's renew ourselves today that heaven is better than earth and that Jesus coming again is a wonderful fact. And I love those words with you, Pastor. The issue is how often and intensely do we think about this to alter our earthly choices? This is what's important. Heaven's mansions should grab our attention and affection. But we want mansions here. These are things I mentioned last Lord's Day. We should pursue and love those things above. It's a daily choice. Remember from Colossians 3? You you are dead. You're dead. You're already dead. Who cares about our bodies dying? You're already dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. 
And we say all that when we get baptized by being buried in water and raised up again. That's why we're Baptists. We're not Baptists because we're trying to satisfy some denomination. We're Baptists because Jesus was a Baptist. How do I know Jesus was a Baptist? The same way you know. He was baptized by a Baptist preacher. When you're baptized by a Baptist preacher, what does that make you? A Baptist. Who was the Baptist preacher that baptized him? John the Baptist. And so the picture of burial and resurrection is I'm dead and my new life is up there. It's in heaven. It's, it's for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we want to live that way. And here the Lord is encouraging his apostles to live that way. A mansion here can be a house, but it can be a career, a fit body, marriage, family, kids in college, a car, boat, plane, second house, whatever, vacations, tangible and visible to distract you from the mansion above, our apartment in the house of God, our secret place in the tabernacle of the Most High. Heaven and spiritual things are better than you can imagine. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. These verses are chosen and given to us to comfort us and to stir us up that we be not discouraged. Do you know that God has chosen to put us in a very different time in very different circumstances from most Christians? Right. Most Christians suffered. Right. When you're suffering, heaven is exciting. Amen. Swing low. Sweet chariot. That wasn't a master's song. That wasn't a slave owner's song. That was a song of slaves. Right. Swing low, sweet chariot. Coming for to carry me home. Christians before us have all suffered. Right. Most of them have suffered. Many of them died martyrs' deaths. Many of them were imprisoned. You would love heaven. Do you know what the problem is? Is our prosperity. It's a, it's a problem for us. It's a distraction. It, it steals our hearts. Jeshu run waxed fat and he kicked, the Bible tells us. Fatness in prosperity and luxury and protection and peace and all the wonderful peas that we have in America steal us away from loving heaven because it's so good down here. Oh, all the pleasure I can have. There's another P for you. I don't care about the power. There's another P for you of God's word on my life because there's so much here. It's a trouble. It's a problem. God chose us, chose us for this time, and our Goliath is prosperity. Our Goliath is pleasure. Our Goliath is protection and peace. They're good things, but when they're, they're, they're in abundance... We need a little bit of hardship. Then heaven looks good. The Lord's going to get us there. And it isn't pretty. When cancer has wrecked me to 90 pounds and I'm yellow and I can't breathe and there's water halfway up my lungs and I'm looking at my dear wife and I can't speak because it's just gurgling. Do we have to wait that long to be excited for heaven? Let's do it with these words. In my Father's house are many mansions. I have to fight. 
against the whole world. And yet we love it and we're thankful, we thank God for it. Right. We thank God for our prosperity, peace, protection, pleasure. Yet hate it on another side. Right. Yes. And wish that we had, it was a little harder so that we would love the things of heaven more. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. You've never seen it. No one else has. No one else has ever heard it, and no one else can even imagine it. Our imaginations are limited by our own finite construction and experience, vocabulary and otherwise. We can't even imagine heaven. But the Lord's prepared them. Remember the word preparation? I go to prepare a place for you. And he's prepared that heavenly kingdom for us from the foundation of the world when we look at it from our Father's standpoint. Look at Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. How good is it? Well, it's better than you've got it right now. And I know that's hard for you to believe. And that's the problem. David, that new house of yours? Furniture you're buying for it? Chris, I'll, I'll get the heat off you, David. Chris, Titus, having that thing built for you just the way you want it. That's your mansion. We all, we all thank God for our houses. Right. We live very comfortably, and we thank God for that comfort. But my, my brothers, let's not get too comfortable. Right, <laughs> and you know, that's a choice. Not to get too comfortable. The Lord can take it away as fast as he gave it. Revelation chapter 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. You like this one just the way it is? It's terrible. It's full of corruption. It's under the bondage of corruption. It's groaning and travail and pain. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There was no more sea. Who needs it? And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is the kingdom and church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. That's what we're in right now, the former things. But they're the present things until we get to the future. Then the present things become the former things. And Lord, make them former soon. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are a religious speculation of those too weak to live with reality. These words are true and faithful. Atheists want us to believe that uh, religion is the opiate of the people to comfort them in their weak mental capacity. But we have true statements from heaven. They're true and faithful. All things are going to be made new. 
And for another side of this kind of a passage, it's Romans chapter 8, which I quoted as we were turning to it, about the bondage of corruption being upon the earth. There's good things coming. Back to John chapter 14. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for these blessings and these promises. How do you want God, my brethren, how do you want God, your loving Father in Christ, your loving husband, to wean you from this world? Do you remember me mentioning that last Lord's Day? He is able to wean you from this world, but can we wean ourselves lest he have to wean us? Because when he weans us, he can take away things and give us troubles that we could avoid if we would go ahead and wean ourselves. Now sometimes he's going to wean us for the building of our faith. He's going to wean us for drawing us closer to him. Is singing about heaven sufficient for your heart and mind to get you worked up? The songs that we sang today, especially the second one, did it help stir you up a little bit? That's why I brought up the box here in the front. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. That's why we sing. Teach and admonish one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's a spiritual song. It's not a hymn. It's not a psalm. We sang about the future of heaven. And it should move us. And as you're singing it, you should be thinking, yes, that's the way I should think. Lord, forgive me for not thinking that way most of the time this past week. I will think that way more this coming week. And just reset ourselves. Reset. We don't want God to have to take away those things. Let's take away our love of those things, and then he can leave, let us have them. We can like those things. Right. You know, As long as we don't love them and let them get out of place, we can like them and enjoy life here while we're waiting for him to take us to heaven. He's told us wonderful things about heaven. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me tell you about your body that you're going to get. You like the one you have now? No. You have a problem. If you like the one you've got now compared to this one, it's, I'm going to have to read a few verses, but I, I want you to enjoy this. Amen. You know the cure for cancer, and so do I. Amen. You know the cure for tiredness, and so do I. You know the cure for knee cartilage, and so do I. Forget knees. Who needs them? We don't even know what we're going to look like. Right. When you put a kernel of corn in the ground, does it look like a stalk that is 12 feet tall? No. Does it even have any resemblance to a stalk 12 feet tall? Nope. It's a change. It's a drastic, dramatic, incredibly huge change from that kernel that right. goes in the ground to that stalk that grows up with the pretty tasseled top and one or two cobs of corn on it, each of them with 800 or more seeds of corn themselves. Okay, here we go, and the apostle explains it that way. Verse 35 of 1 Corinthians 15. This is how we are to comfort ourselves. Some man will say, how are the dead raised up? I don't really believe in the resurrection of the dead. Why don't you go ahead and tell me what their bodies look like? This, that's a fool. Right. I'll get to that in a second. Some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? That's a scornful two questions. Thou fool. That which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. Did we learn that in John chapter 12? Yep. That it's got to die first before it changes and brings forth much fruit? And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, 
and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There's four kinds of flesh in verse 39, and so there's going to be a different kind of flesh when we're glorified. God gives the body of the thing that results from the seed, and it's very different from the seed that's put in the ground. And we put our corrupt bodies in the ground. The 90-pound the Jonathan Crosby that you'll bury someday, possibly, is going to come forth, and it'll be very different when it comes forth. Celestial bodies are in the sky. Terrestrial bodies are on earth. There's all kinds of different things God has made. He's able to make all kinds of different things, and the one that's coming is the best of all. Verse 41, there is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon. Who saw it last night? Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Yep. We raced to the computer and typed in full moon April, and it's not until tonight at 8.58. 8.58 tonight. If it's as clear of a sky as it was last night, it... mm -hmm. thank you, Lord. Yeah. It's the lesser light, but last night it was pretty nice. Sorry about that. Verse 41, that wasn't there, that's just me. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Right. This is what's coming for us. I will come again. I shall return. We shall be changed. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The comparisons that are made up there, God has made all kinds of different bodies. Celestial, terrestrial, flesh of different kinds, greater lights with greater glory, lesser lights with lesser glory. So also shall be the resurrection of the dead. Here's the change. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. Remember? It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So that's a hint. John saw Jesus. He was just different. And so it is written. The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Amen. That's our Lord Jesus. Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. So right now we just have natural bodies. We're going to get a spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. That's Adam in the Garden of Eden. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Amen. And as is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. We will be like the Lord Jesus Christ as we had read to us from 1 John. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Right. Read about them. Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 19. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit corruption. We can't go like this. Right. We can't go like this. There's no clothes that you can put over the stinking thing you call your body and get into heaven. It's just too corruptible. That's why you've got to take so many showers and use deodorant and all the other things we do to cover up and hide because it can't, it doesn't belong there. Heaven's too good for it. So we shall be changed, as it says in verse 51. Back to John chapter 14. 
We need to encourage ourselves in this stuff. Listen, brethren, we're all going down. Charlie, you and I ain't 30s in our 30s anymore. A, a big change has taken place already, but a bigger change is coming. Because the change going to the glorified body is going to be the greatest change ever. But it's coming. I appreciate my wife growing old with me. Not that old. <laughs> but you know, we do talk about it. I'm getting ahead of myself. The second service is about marriage. You know, we want to enjoy everything that we have the way that we should enjoy it. And we may never know when the last time is that we get to make love. I don't usually say anything like that to you from a pulpit, but we talk about it. So we want to go out in the red zone. <laughs> Forget all that. Let's just grow old together. One of the greatest things we can offer someone that wants to join our church is let us live and die in the Lord. Amen. Every one of you will want it a little differently when you die. You're welcome to state your preferences early because we're, we're, when, you're, well, when you're dead, it doesn't matter, but uh, you know what I mean. Some of you will want to crowd around singing. Some of you will want to be left alone with dear family or something. But it's coming. I just want you to be thinking about it. But what's more important than all of that is, I will come again. I shall return. Oh, he's got the power of it. What's he swinging? He's got the keys of hell and of death. He's just swinging them. I open and no man shuts. I shut and no man opens. I am the way, the truth, and the life we're going to get to next Sunday by the grace of God. Rejoice in it with these verses with me, brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ had to go to heaven first in body to take possession and prepare it for us. Verse 2, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. There's going to be a place for you in heaven. Jesus had to go there. He had to be accepted by God, crowned, promoted, and receive the inheritance of the universe, which he did when he sat down at God's right hand. Do you want The verses are in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. They're in Psalm chapter 2, verses 7 through 8. 9. I will give thee the uttermost parts of the earth for thine inheritance. That inheritance had to be transferred to the Lord Jesus Christ. What if Jesus had failed and hadn't been able to get the inheritance? Then we wouldn't have part of the inheritance because we are joint heirs with the inheritor of the estate of the universe. We are joint heirs with him. He had to take possession of things first. In Revelation chapter 2, it says that he gives his people the rod of iron rule that I have received of my father. He says in Revelation chapter 3 that I want you to sit in my throne even as I received of my father and sit with him in his throne. He has to receive those things first. He has to take title to them and take possession for us to have them. You know, when we think of the word prepare, and remember we are dealing with some metaphorical expressions here, you think of paint and cutting grass. That isn't what Jesus had in mind. 
He had in mind of being accepted by the Father, crowned by the Father, promoted by the Father, receiving the inheritance, getting it down under his feet, sitting on his throne, getting the rod of iron rule, so that those things that are offered to the overcomers in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 are his to give, to prepare a place for you in heaven. He entered heaven and removed the seals of the everlasting covenant. No one else could do that. God the Father sat on his throne with the book of the everlasting covenant of salvation and sealed with seven seals that brought forth judgments on this earth. How do we know that it's the covenant book of salvation? Very easily. As soon as the the book was taken into the hands of Jesus and God let it go, they sang a new song in heaven. And what did they sing? Worthy is the lamb that was slain and hath redeemed us to God. They couldn't sing it until the lamb had been accepted by the God on the throne. And as soon as it was accepted, they sang a new song there. And they sang a new song in Revelation chapter 12, verses 5 through 12. And the song there was, and the loud cry in heaven was, Now is come salvation. Because that was the formal inheriting of the universe by Jesus Christ and the completed sense of the legal aspect of our redemption. I go to prepare a place for you. And he had some things to do. He had to die on the cross, rise from the dead, ascend up into heaven and be accepted by God, sit down on his throne and have the universe to share with us. And you know Revelation 5. I'm not going to turn you there or 12. We've been there recently. All these conditions had to be in place for the inheritance to be guaranteed to us by Jesus Christ. We've received the earnest of the inheritance until we get to possess it. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, well, he is going to go and prepare a place for them. At that point in time, it is stated if in a subjunctive mood, that's how you describe various verbs. A verb is imperative. When it's telling you to do something, it is indicative. When it is declaring a fact, it is interrogative. When